Live from Deerbird, this is the Lock Tomb Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. Today we're covering chapters 11 through 13 of Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. We're in day three, baby. Pew, pew, pew. We're I'm so excited. <laughs> we made it. We made it to day three, which is a fun day to read about, y'all. <laughs> Before we begin, just a quick reminder, if you want to support artists and the Locktoom fan community, you can always check out our Locktoom creator hub at locktoompod.com slash fanmerch. And of course, if you would like to support Amy and me here at the pod, you can find stickers, pins, and magnets on our website. Also, just a quick shout out to our friends, Stowe and Nikki, who were listeners and then joined us for a Homestuck episode where we talked about the webcomic Homestuck and its influences on Tamsin Muir's writing. Stowe and Nikki were so great. And if you guys have not listened to that episode, we highly recommend it. We had so much fun learning about Homestuck and talking to Stowe and Nikki. And we really liked how the episode turned out. So we hope you enjoy it too. And Amy, before we get to dive into day three, I have a couple questions for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you call it when Pash is not in a place where they're supposed to be? Uh, I don't know. Where? What is it? Trespashing. Oh my god, <laughs> that's a stretch. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, hey, what does Pash need to bring with them when they're traveling? Uh, oh my gosh, I just thought toothpaste. Tooth, tooth. Wait, toothpaste. <laughs> toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, but the correct answer is actually a passport. Oh my god! Okay, that is better. This is why you do the I jokes. Have, <laughs> I have, I have a third and final question, which is, what does Pash use to figure out what direction to go? I have no idea. A compass. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh and I, those are all in <laughs> honor of one of my favorite characters in this third book, Our Lady of Passion, who we get to meet for the first time. I know uh, today. <laughs> there, um, she's very. I feel like one of the ones that really grew on me as I read it multiple totally. times. So I also they them Pash pretty hard. Yes, yeah, and I, they I think them everyone. I think it's hard. she her. Yeah, I think the pronouns are she her, but. You know, I might they them them some they them them sometimes. <laughs> I don't want to erase her cisness, so I'll be Fair careful. Enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so we start with day three in this section, which is great because I feel like day one and two are all sort of setting the stage, and day three in a way is, but w with day three we kind of get the ball rolling. It's like a transition day. Yeah, and then day four and five are unhinged. Yeah, like we turn a corner in day mm -hmm. three. That we will never, and we can't go back, you know? We've kind of, mm -hmm. we're on our way to pure chaos. Absolutely. So like all of the, the days or the acts of this book, day three starts with a list of things that happen. Day three is a visit. Crown takes Nona to school. Important news. Hot sauce and Nona have an adventure. The two princes. Three days until the tomb opens. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. And chapter 11 is mostly about pickelets. Wait, is it pickelets? <laughs> I thought it was pikelets. Honey, is it pike? It's pike. Maybe it's pikelets. <laughs> more. more <laughs> okay, this is a note, like, actually quite a bit later down in the, in the note list, but I guess we should just hit it now. Yeah. I had no idea well what these were, out. but it's just, they're, they're what Americans would call pancakes. Yeah. 
Okay. I'm glad we pikelets. got that out of the way. Sorry, pikelets, pikelets. friends. I'm an American. Apologies. Apologies. Mel, we should do a pilgrimage to New Zealand. I am down. Buy those stickers, folks. Fund yeah, our we trip. Need, we need <laughs> literally hundreds of thousands of you to buy stickers. <laughs> Help. <laughs> so chapter 11, day three, begins pretty much the way that all of these days begin, which is with Nona recounting her dream. I was thinking about this while I was reading it this last time. It's interesting that the day structure, at least for the first three days, it all kind of starts the same, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. But every time the dream is a little bit different. So I thought that that was, I thought that was interesting and kind of it, it demonstrates how Nona is kind of losing her grip on like what's what, like who's who and what's what kind of in her head. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's again, you know, Nona depicting the pool scene for us. It's really fun how many times we get to remember the pool scene in this book. I know. Thank you, Tamsin. And she demonstrates, basically she's describing like the position that Harrow and Gideon are in, in the pool. And Nona gets to demonstrate this position on Cam. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I was reading this and I was like, damn it. Mel's definitely going to be like, this is this is sexy for sure. It is. And yeah, you're well, right. And you are, at the end of the day, and ultimately you're yeah. right. I mean, Nona has a thing for Cam. Yeah. But here's the other receipt here, Amy. <laughs> okay. Okay? So Nona thinks that this is sexy in the moment, uh-huh. right? But then she follows up with Cam and says, it's so funny because in the dream, it doesn't feel that way. Like, it doesn't feel sexy. And so if we're to believe that Nona is sharing like Harrow's perspective of this uh-huh. feeling, I'm just saying oh my God. Harrow's not feeling sexiness here. Well, she thinks she's being ritually drowned. So maybe that's just not her kink. <laughs> that, yeah, you're right. That, that definitely <laughs> isn't her kink. I'm just saying here is one receipt to add. All right. Add it to the receipt pile. <laughs> but also a- another receipt, a counter receipt. Is that Nona then says that she thinks that one of the things that she finds sexy is a picture of two flowers. So how are we really to read what Nona finds sexy? No, I right, totally. And I I guess what I'm saying is that in the dream, what Nona's feeling is what Harrow's feeling, Mm. not what Nona actually feels, you know, because then but yeah, I I hear you that Nona's sexy credibility is like quite low. Because as Earth, the things she finds sexy are maybe not what many of us would find sexy. Although, I don't know about you, but I look at some flowers and I'm like, yeah. (laughs) In kind of another realm of the ship wars that we have and that the fandom has, there's a really interesting moment where, so Cam sends Nona to breakfast and Nona asks what Pal, what Palamides finds sexy. And Cam says... It's a strong worth ethic and high test scores, which is obviously, I don't think, true at all. But I do feel like it's interesting because Cam's sort of reaction to Nona asking this could be interpreted as like a, like she specifically like is interested in what Pal finds sexy in that she like acts like it's no big deal. Or it could also be read as like her thinking of Dulcinea. I don't know. Complicated relationships here. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because you think like Cam is maybe making this up just to appease Nona, right? So that could be Uh the case. It could be what she genuinely thinks Pow finds sexy. I mean, Cam has a strong work ethic and probably got high test scores. So is it also (laughs) presumptuous? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, matchmaker Mel. (laughs) But also. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I find sexy, Hmm. Amy, is competence. And so Camilla Hecht, for me, is the sexiest character in these books. Really? Yeah. Competence, man. I'm like, are you competent? There's so much incompetence out there that I'm just like, ooh, competence. Mm. I also, I I think Camilla is very sexy. Also, I I find Pira sexy, although I I don't know if that's like, I don't know what that is. She's kind of mean, <laughs> but she's hot. And you think me? yeah, well, yeah. I also find you know I love Abigail also, but you know I love a librarian. So <laughs> you've got a, a a wide range of type. You know, don't you don't have to box in your type. I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, so Pierre's making pikelets, and Nona immediately can tell that Pira didn't sleep. Her, like, through Pierre's body posture and kind of rumpled clothing and all of that. And Pierre is like, you know, are you my keeper? Mm-hmm. And Nona's like, where did you go? And Pierre says, I went to the park. And if we remember from the last chapter or two, Cam and Pira and Palamides had a disagreement about going to the park to save the necromancers or the supposed necromancers that mm-hmm. were going to be murdered and burned in the cages. And Cam and Pal wanted to go save them, and Pyrrha was like, no. And it turns out that Pyrrha went instead and actually shot them all before they could be burned. Right. Which she doesn't say here, but... I think we find out later from Hot Sauce right. that someone had shot all of the people who were going to be burned. And so in Pira's mind, this is like an act of mercy. Right. I thought there was an interesting quote here where Pira makes a joke about marrying Nona and and Nona says, I wouldn't marry you. You're wonderful and beautiful, but you'd never act like you were married to me. And I just wondered if this was like the feeling of, I don't know, maybe I'm overinterpreting this, but like the leftover feeling of like, feeling betrayed by like the humans of earth Mm. and feeling like earth was never their top priority you know i don't know really i really like that read i really like that read i i was wondering what nona meant Mm -hmm. by this and part of me is wonders too because there was that interaction that pira had with the teacher lady Mm -hmm. in the first couple chapters where Pierre's like flirting with her, but it's not really real. Right. And Nona kind of calls Pierre out for it. Mm-hmm. And so I also just wonder if she feels like Pierre's in love with Wake and potentially getting the first, and those mm. are her loves. And so there isn't, it's not possible for Pierre to kind of feel the same way about, about someone else. Maybe. Right. It could be anything. But I like the line that says, this briefly corpsed the person who went to work for her. Yeah. One, a really cool sentence. And two, v- further validates that Pira is the one that goes to work for Nona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of wake also, when Nona asks Pira what she finds sexy, she says landmine people and also redheads, yeah. which is funny because... <laughs> 
Well, she she did find that in Wake. And then Pal comes in and says he's he finds those slutty nurse outfits sexy, which I find <laughs> so freaking funny. Every time I read that bit. It's so good. Yeah, because Pal's like a dirty little motherfucker. <laughs> he's kinky as fuck. And there's a lot he's of kinky. fan fiction yeah. written about kinky Pal. And I really and also we will at some point make a list of our favorite fanfics. But oh, that day right, is yeah. not this day. <laughs> that day is not this day. That day is going to be later. an important note here is that when Pyrrha says that she's into redheads, mm. Nona says she does not find redheads right. sexy, which I personally was offended by on behalf of redheads. Yeah. I think, red, I think redheads are hot. So Same. What, so whatever. And Nona's got some confusing tastes anyway. But yeah. But we stand by redheads. <laughs> we stand by redheads. Yes, indeed. Also, Pal finds this interesting because in their journey to figure out who Nona is, there's this like funny assumption that Harrow would find redheads sexy. Right. I think, right? Like right. Pal, Pal obviously thinks that Harrow finds Gideon sexy. And I think that's a receipt in your favor. Well, thank you for giving me that receipt. I was about to say yes, and that kind of, because Pal kind of like is really good at perceiving things, so I'm glad we kind of came to the same conclusion there. (laughs) And then the door bursts open, and people come in holding guns, and that is the brief cliffhanger until we get to the next chapter. It is, and if you listen to the audiobook, this is also the first time we hear Moira Quirk's Pash voice. Oh, really? Yep. First sign of zombie shouldn't I blow your brain stamps. I don't know. That oh, was probably no, you're really right. Yeah. And who knows if it is Pash, right? Because we know that Moira makes some like executive decisions when it's not particularly clear. But if you haven't listened to the Moira episode, the Moira interview, we actually learn about Pash's voice and mm-hmm. how Moira came to decide uh, what what it would sound like. Guys, it's, it's so good. If you haven't hilarious. listened to that, it's so funny. It's so, even if you're not like a deep nerd and you're just listening to this to like get some insight, go listen to the Myra Quirk episode. She is so freaking funny. Yeah. And you can hear about her gym teacher. Ugh, I love it. Anyway, we digress. Chapter 12, A Visit. So the visit is people bursting into their apartment. It's Blood of Eden. Surprise, surprise. They put hoods on Nona, Cam, and Pira and tape their arms to their sides. They also tape Pira's mouth. I don't know if this is like a, you know, if Pira speaks, she can do magic. I don't know. But yeah, there's some some weird BOE superstitions or like yeah. just misinformation about lictors and necromancers. Yeah, which makes sense because they really fuck up everything every time they, you know, come to a planet. Mm-hmm. But they're all led to this car outside of the apartment building. It seems like from context clues that this is a thing that has happened before like this is this is a normal thing like not every week but like every once in a while they are sort of kidnapped by blood of eden Mm -hmm. and brought to their headquarters to talk i thought one thing was interesting they like scan them with you said it was like a little airport scanner for like weapons i thought it was like a wand you know those kind of like wands at airports like i was like yeah what are those wands and i looked them up and they check for explosives or like Uh if you like recently touched some sort of explosive materials like there would be traces of that on you and so that's what that's checking for i just imagined it would be something like that where they're like checking them for some Mm -hmm. sort of shit whether or not it's a real thing 
you know, is up, right. up for debate. I just thought it was weird because later, you know, just a couple pages later, they say that their test results are clean. And I was yeah. like, what test, re- test results from what? Well, they like take their blood pressure. They like, I, f- I feel like Palamides says, or like when Nona is kind of taking us through this process, she tells us that Palamides said that they're like checking to make sure they're alive and mm. not quote unquote something else. Right. So not puppets. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. Not like Ianthi Nibirius, for example. Right. Right. Also, in this office building, Nona, like, calls it glamorous and loves the plants and wants to eat them, which is cute. Mm-hmm. Because even though they seem to be in this, like, kind of dire situation, Nona's still like, la-di-da, I want to eat the plants. It's cute here. <laughs> I know. And then we kind of, we get to the point, I don't think this is confirmed before this. We get to the point where we find out that Crown is, in fact, Corona Beth. So yes. they get out of the car. They meet Corona Beth. It's not immediately revealed that it's Corona Beth, but it, the description is very obvious. It's like hot. She's hot. Like blonde, <laughs> sexy, tall. Big muscles. Like yeah. most beautiful person you've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. Corona. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we all know that Tamsin Muir has a type. Yeah. This is interesting. I wanted to ask you about this. Cam and Corona have... There's like a lot of tension between them, Mm -hmm. and this is consistent throughout their time together over these next couple chapters. But here, Cam says to her, you're still wearing that sword. It doesn't belong to you. Or like, Mm -hmm. you're not even wearing it for anyone. And Corona says, it reminds me of home. And if the owner asks for it, I'll give it back. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if this was either Gideon's sword or if it was... Nibirius's sword. I'm pretty sure it's Gideon's sword. I think they say that later in the book. Why would it remind her of home? Just like having the sword? Yeah, because they don't really have swords outside of the nine houses because it's like, why would you? (laughs) And yeah, I think that it's in in As Yet Unsent, she has Gideon's sword. I'm pretty sure. I see. Okay. And I think it's just the same. It's just she still has it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, okay. oh my god, no, Mel, this is what it is. This is the confirmation. It's when it, it's in Harrow the Ninth, when Harrow meets Camilla on that weird planet and then sh- briefly sees Coronabeth and Judith. Coronabeth is wearing the sword and it makes Harrow like have a brain aneurysm. Totally. Because she that like is... doesn't know. Yeah. Yep. That's Break. what it is. We got bada there. Bing, bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. It's also very clear here, right? So Crown is very much still indoctrinated into the Blood of Eden cause, it seems. Mm -hmm. And it also seems here that Camilla is less so. Like still, obviously, I think what's interesting about these books is that there's not a boring good guy, bad guy dynamic here. Everyone is complex. There's a lot of gray area. And Camilla and Palamides kind of represent that. They kind of like embody that. And so you have Crown who's like full-blown blood of eden right and you have camilla and pal who are like obviously the houses are problematic and we don't totally agree with blood of eden either and Mm -hmm. so that is kind of the dynamic here that continues to play out and what i find interesting is that they both seem to want the other to like be with them right like in this weird way where camilla basically says to corona why don't you just come with me right but here 
Corona's really trying to convince Camilla that like, you know, we're on your side. We want the same thing. We're not the hardliners. And Cam's Mm -hmm. like, you really don't want the same thing as us. Yeah, there's definitely some tensions. And I still want to hear what happened in the time between the end of Hera the Ninth and the beginning of Nona that kind of led to this. But Corona eventually takes Cam and Nona. Pira's been taking off somewhere else to see the cell commander. And they're taken to this room with a bunch of portraits. I was wondering, like, who the portraits were of, the old portraits. Because there's one portrait of Wake, but then there are a bunch of paintings of people that Nona doesn't recognize. I was like, is this of, like, the original people who left Earth? Or is this the original people who founded Blood of Eden? And also, it's not like photography didn't exist it's always existed in this world yeah I don't know I it's funny because when I initially read this I thought oh it's just like other people who have died Mm. and people are like you know paying homage to those who they lost but I actually think because they're kind of in the same area that the portrait of wake is that it's probably past commanders and wake is the most recent one Mm. and the probably I think the most like well respected of them and so that's why her portrait has the most you know flowers and shit around it right but my assumption was that all the others were kind of the commanders before her mm-hmm. and I hear you on the photography but I feel like even the presidents of the United States get their mm. portraits painted you know it's true. so it might just be like tradition they just say it says the, there were they were paintings and very old like they specifically say they're super old paintings and i was like yeah. maybe these are maybe it's george washington <laughs> yikes i hope not <laughs> me too <laughs> but in this room along with the portrait is the portraits is pira and two blood of eden people and i, I guess blood of eden people all wear like goggles and masks these two people are we suffer who is the cell commander and Our Lady of the Passion, who is Pash, who is, we find out later, Gideon's cousin? Gideon's cousin. Gideon's cousin. Sexiness runs in the family, y'all. Pash's mother is Wake's Mm -hmm. sister. Right. And Wake is technically Gideon's birth donor. I Wait, like Wake I am is her mom. <laughs> I'm remiss to call her mom because she's she never really mothered Gideon, you know, but yes. It's true. She sure. did she did arrive sort of brain dead. Egg donor. I don't know. <laughs> so also I thought this was interesting. I, I wanna I don't know if we ever get We Suffer's full name or Pasha's full name, but Crown announces herself here as crown him with many crowns, thy full gallant legions. He found it in him to forgive. And I looked it all up. It took me a while, (laughs) but I think I found out what it meant. That crown him with many crowns is a Christian hymn. I knew that one. Thy full gallant legions is an English translation from the Ivory Coast's national anthem. Mm. And then he found it within him to forgive. It's a lyric from the Mutton Birds' Dominion Road. I didn't know that song. I had to listen to it. Yeah, I did too. Um, which it's a good song, actually. I I recommend. I was wondering who gave Crown her name because clearly she doesn't know these references. You know, I don't know. I don't know like how people are given names. Maybe they just have like a list of. I mean, what is it? It seems like. Well, it's it's all like cultural 
references from the before times. But it's like a it's like a national anthem, a song, a like pop song, and what's the first one? It's like a poem. Well, because one of the names, Wakes, had like a Shakespeare play, like a line from a Shakespeare play Mm. or something. So, yeah, I don't know. But there's definitely a national anthem in everyone's names, I think. Right. But yeah, maybe there's just, yeah, maybe there's books with like lists of these cultural references and you just kind of like pick out the ones you like. I don't know. Yeah. We also, so... We, we learn Crown's name because she introduces herself at mm-hmm. like w- with her full name when she comes into the room with Cam, Pira, and Nona. And in that kind of announcement, she also says that she's representing Sesiphon 3. She acknowledges we suffer and we suffer of Sesiphon 1. And then she says Troy is Cell reporting in Cell Commander. And so... We don't have a total understanding of the structure of BOE, mm-hmm. but we know that a wi- there is Sesiphon wing. Mm-hmm. And then these numbers suggest that there are like some subgroups within that wing. And then there is Troya cell. Mm-hmm. And so it was unclear to me if Troya cell is like within the Sesiphon wing or vice versa, but we suffer as being called cell commander. And so we also have cell commander hope uh or right unjust hope, unjust hope who is part of the other wing cell or wing right right so it's a little confused the terminology is a little confusing here and it's interesting to me too because later corona beth is kind of referring to pira and cam and nona as part of her cell or wing or but i thought it was interesting that even though it seems like Pira and Camilla and Nona are at odds with Blood and Blood of Eden. They are also in a way part of Blood of Eden. It's a it's a weird line. Yeah. And also just by the way, Sesiphon is actually like an ancient city. Mhm. And Troya is a city too. Troya is a city too. Sesiphon Sesiphon was in the southeast of present-day Baghdad. And Troya is in Italy. Yeah. I also in in the audiobook this is one of the first times that we hear we suffer and I just want to remind everyone that Tamsin Muir herself <laughs> was the one who said in her like notes to Moira Quirk that she had always imagined we suffer as French <laughs> as having a French and- accent I think it's so <laughs> funny like cuz the way Moira Quirk does her is like I think Moira Quirk explains it as like French but also like kind of over it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she does it so well but it wasn't even this is one of the ones that was not actually Mara's uh you know creative choice it was actually a suggestion from our queen Tamsin Muir herself indeed and thank the goddess because it's so good go listen to those those audiobooks to prep for this I listened to the chapters like 40 times over that is how I prep and I have to say Listening to these chapters is so fun because of We Suffer. <laughs> we Suffer and also Pash is done really uh, well because it oh could have God, been really Pash. annoying, but yep. she does it really well. Yep. And so so we learn when they come into this meeting that this meeting is quote unquote off the books and it's because something has really shaken things up, um, but we don't know what yet. 
And then Pira being kind of like a smart ass tells we suffer like where they actually are. And we suffer is like, how did you know that? And Pash gets all bent out of shape about mm -hmm. it. And there's this really funny, silly dialogue between Pira and we suffer about how it was these like bumps in the road and it was a dead giveaway and blah, blah, blah. It's like this very like casual, boring conversation in the midst of this really chaotic thing mm -hmm. that is going down right now. And then also, I don't know about you, but the interactions between Corona and- Oh my God, I just saw your note. <laughs> the interactions between Corona and Pash throughout this whole chapter, I'm just like, they are going to get down and dirty at, in one of the, like they have to hook up because they have such like a, I was trying to remember- Kismet, Kismetitude. Kismetitude. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is good. Wow. Yeah, that would be extremely cool. Yeah. And cool, we won't cool, cool. like go into the details of all of their back and forth because it's a lot. But it's constantly Corona just telling Pash to fuck off and Pash kind of being really anti-necromancer and bigoted. Mm -hmm. And it's fun and it's hot. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm surprised that Pash is, is who you choose as your as the hottie in this situation. <laughs> I think I think well, it's one of those things. I think I would think Corona's hot, but Pash to me is like really queer, cool, hot, like mm. kind of like androgyn. I imagine like androgynous, like kind of like Gideon with blue hair. You know, like hot in that way. They're hot in different ways. Yeah, I just don't kind of imagine a rugby gay. Totally. Yeah. yeah. My rugby gaze, for sure. <laughs> this next bit is a little bit, there's just like a lot going on and we're getting it from Nona's perspective. So it's a little bit hard to like, I mean, we can't just like say everything that happens, but basically we suffer is talking about a negotiator who's now in orbit from John and shows a picture of the shuttle that the negotiator's on, on a projector. I think it's helpful to lay out a couple things that we that happen in like throughout the rest of this chapter, mm -hmm. right? There are like a couple key things that we learn that are important. Mm -hmm. And we can talk a little bit about how we know that. The first is that, again, we get evidence that BOE is not united at all. There are factions of BOE who just want to like go full-blown violence and just blow everyone up and theoretically themselves up in the process just to like as a middle finger. Mm -hmm. uh, and we suffer is basically like they don't have enough support and we we get some more insight into like there's a consensus pro process for how they make decisions which is cool and that we suffers in support of nego actually actively negotiating with the enemy which is also like not a super popular opinion but mm -hmm. when we learned this we we learn that blood of eden is involved in the fight on antioch right and what uh, we should probably remind people what Antioch is. Yeah, Antioch is another planet, like a, a sort of a forced resettlement area where the houses have taken people from other planets and put them all together, similar to like the setting of Nona the Ninth. And I think there are a couple of different players on Antioch right now. It's obviously the Nine Houses are fighting Blood of Eden, but there are also all of those weird ass like river tower people who are who show up later in Nona the Ninth. And we yeah. don't really know what they are quite yet. And we can speculate on that later. But it seems like 
it's not just I, I felt like until I read this again that Antioch was more a fight between like the nine houses and these like weird river things. But it sounds like they kind of came in in the middle of a fight between Blood of Eden and the Nine Houses. So Totally. Yep. And the reason that we know that is because everyone's trying to figure out, one, where the ship came from, and two, who is on the ship. Mm -hmm. And so most of the conversation is spent figuring out where the ship came from and how it got here. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually this chapter is written in a really cool way because Tamsin is giving us like a lot of information through a conversation just about a shuttle. And so as a refresher on like space travel, there is travel through the river, right? Which allows you to move very far distances pretty quickly. It's also very dangerous. But for most people who don't travel through the river... On the house side, they use steelies, and steelies are pretty big, and they allow a ship to connect to an obelisk, and you're basically traveling like from one obelisk zone to another using the steely. Right. So basically, they're looking at the shuttle, and they're saying, it's not really big enough to have a steely on board, so how the fuck did it get here? And if there's like kind of two options, one is that it didn't come from very far away. The Mm -hmm. other is that it dropped in through the river. Which I think is what is later confirmed, right? Yeah, that is what's confirmed. Also, the description of the shuttle is that it has bones inlaid in the sides like fossils. That is very reminiscent of the Mithraeum. Mm -hmm. Also, it reminds me of Seat of the Emperor, the behemoth class flagship that Harrow the Ninth begins on. (laughs) Right, totally. (laughs) With all the bones inlaid (laughs) on the side. Seat of the Emperor. And then the other thing we learned through this dialogue is that the second house installation, or what they call Station Red as Blood, which by the way is a reference to like a retelling of Snow White. It's like a a Brothers Grimm fairy tale or something. But we learned that the second house installation has been abandoned, and it was abandoned three months ago. I was curious about this. I wasn't sure if it was like the second house installation or if it was like an installation because presumably like the reason that they're talking about this is because it is the point that it would have jumped to via Obelisk and Steely to get to whatever this planet is that they're on. And I don't think the nine houses are anywhere nearby. So this wouldn't be, I don't think, the second house like the within like our solar system. This is like an installation that was basically used as like a like an outpost yeah like that's what i thought interesting but if it is like actually the second house installation then that's that implies a lot right like i thought i was thinking that it was a second house installation like the place Mm -hmm. where the second house is because of all those fucking tower monster Mm. things and that basically they've all been deployed to go fight all this crazy, crazy shit that's going on. But I guess we'll, I mean, we will find out in the next Mm. book. I hope so. (laughs) But either way, what we're getting big picture is that there's a lot of shit going on. Like the house, Mm -hmm. like on the house side, there's a lot of chaos. And on the Blood of Eden side, there's a lot of chaos. And by the way, we learn about this shit because Corona (laughs) Beth, like had a thing for a dancer back on the third house who happened to be into ships. And she describes 
this not romance as her falling in love with him and him not being interested in her at all, which is kind of her thing. Yeah, it's definitely what she's into. And exactly what we see with Judith, even though Judith is secretly in love with her, which is so tragic. Yeah. We also kind of get some talk about, there's there's a lot of mentions of Wake's kind of influence on Blood of Eden here. Obviously, everyone really, really idolizes her in a big way. And obviously, Pyrrha is like in love with her. So it's a bunch of uh, Wake stands in the room. They also talk about how they want to progress, how the Hopers, so Unjust Hope, the other Wings leader, how they want a progress report on Nona. And they talk about kind of like where Nona's at and obviously like what they're unsure about. So they're not sure if Nona is Harrow or Gideon or something else or a combo, but they don't feel like they can offer her or like even talk about her as part of the negotiation unless she has Elictor's powers because otherwise she's like pretty useless to John, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But then in this bit, it's so interesting. They talk about it's our only time we ever get to really hear about Blood of Eden's past contact with Lictors. Yeah. And I had so some good. big questions. Yes. I saw them. I thought about them. We'll see what we can do here. <laughs> so there are four Lictors listed. And this is what's confusing because I can definitely name three of them, but I don't really get who the fourth is. And I feel like maybe I'm just being stupid. But and I'm also gonna butcher all of these names and pronunciations. But boop, boop. go for it. We got Lean in. Source Joyeuse, 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 which is Mercy, I think. Also happens to be the name of Charlemagne's sword. Also, also kind of sounds like the Saint of Joy. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I figured that that was Mercy. There was really no other major clue outside of that, but it was Joy. Then Source Piotra, which is I think Augustine, and I. Th thought that this was probably Augustine because it's the, well, I don't know. It's the Polish name for Peter, and Peter is the one who betrays Jesus three, or not betrays, but like um, kind of like renounces him three times before the co oh. crow cause or whatever. Anyway. Wow, what a reference. I just, that's yeah. a, That was like just where my brain, I have no, I have no way to really know that. It, it well, could also, also, it could be Pira. Well, I think, no, I think it is Augustine, if only because she shares Joyous and Piotra in one right, sentence, right. like them together. And so Mercy and Augustine did work together to inform, to do the whole like sperm theft thing. Right. <laughs> so I was assuming that I, I'm on the same page as you so far. I think those two are Mercy and Augustine. And then we'll jump forward to source Chrysaor, which is Kitharea. And that's that's totally confirmed. They talk about her also as Kitharea. Chrysaor is also the twin brother of the winged horse Pegasus. So just mm. if you were wondering. Mm. Also here it was interesting because apparently Kitharea was the one who taught them about obelisks and steelies, which I thought, I thought it was um, mercy. So it wasn't. And it's confirmed that Kitharea was like in cahoots with them about all of the would-be lictors going to Canaan House. So that's mm -hmm. all confirmed. And Blood of Eden is like, oh, yeah, she killed all these like baby lictors for us. And, you know, the fam is like, that's not, you know, you happen to get some stuff out of this, but it was all Kitharea's own thing. And then the fourth lictor that is mentioned is Source 
Aegis? Aegis? Aegis. Yeah, Aegis. And an Aegis is something, I'm probably saying this completely wrong, but an Aegis is something that is, it's like a device that was carried around by Athena and Zeus, like sort of like a shield. And it could be Gideon the First, but I don't think Gideon the First. So I thought it was Gideon the First. Yeah. And part of that is, so Aegis is also, right, that is the mythology and it means the protection, backing, or support of a particular person or organization. And Gideon right. the first is like hardcore into mm. God, or you know, like protecting him. And also, it says, and her source, Aegis. Uh, okay, so it says, we would know nothing about resurrection beasts without Commander Wake and her source, Aegis, leading to contact with a house 20 years ago. A terrible mission failure, we thought. So I'm pretty sure that Wake Source Aegis is Gideon the First. Who is telling her about resurrection. Who is telling her. Right. A, like pillow talk about, about resurre- resurrection. Yeah, and, that, and the Ninth House, I right. think. So I'm pretty sure that's Gideon the First. Right. So the situation is that John knows that Blood of Eden has the Sixth House Oversight Board. And in that way, like you know, power over the sixth house installation, which is, you know, floating out somewhere in space. And so he is sending someone, the negotiator, quote unquote, to get them back. And Nona may or may not be part of this deal. And also there's a lot of argument amongst the wings. So amongst Unjust Hope and We Suffer about what they should ask for. So Nona may or may not be part of the deal because they don't know if she's going to if she's like turning back into Harrow or if, you know, she's something else entirely. So they've got this this ninth house representative in orbit right now in this random ship. They don't know who it is. They don't know how they got here because there's no obelisk nearby. And they don't really agree on what to ask God. So that's kind of like where we're at. That's like sets the stage for everything else that really happens on this planet for the rest of mm-hmm. – for the next like two days. So – yep. Yep. And then just like a couple notes for how we close out the chapter. In Corona and Pash's fighting, she refers to Cam, Pira, and Nona as her cell. And then also I find it funny how like prude we suffer is because they get like Pash like insults Corona and says like you're just boobs and hair and talk or something. And Corona's like, I'm boobs and hair and talk and yeah. hell of a sword hand. And we suffer's basically like you both you know, are going to get punished because you said boobs and for being boobs yourselves. I know. I think great. that we suffer so fed up. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. She's just like, y'all young idiots, get out of here. She's over it. And then a, a couple interesting things close out this chapter. One is that Cam gets proof of life from we suffer, so which is basically a recording of Palamides' mom, Juno Zeta, mm-hmm. and uh, w- at the very end, we suffers like, can you just give me something that I can give the rest of BOE? And Camilla says, tell them they have a lictor or equivalent if they wait. And this, my friends, is Cam and Pal promising Blood of Eden, Paul. Mm. This is this is not Camilla and Palamides promising them Nona. Because I'm pretty sure at this point, Cam and Pal kind of know that Nona is not like Harrow 
or Gideon or a combination of Harrow and Gideon. Right. And I do think they are on the path to becoming Paul. And I think that's what's going on here. That is such a good read. I had never really thought about it that way. I had thought of it as like them starting to realize that Nona was maybe something completely different and maybe like as powerful in her own way. Mm, maybe. But I, I buy what you're saying. I just don't think that Cam and Pal are are the kind of people who would give up Nona. Right. Are going to use Nona as a negotiation right. tool, right? But they would use themselves. Right. And so that's why I think this is what it is. That's very smart. And then the chapter ends because Nona has to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> once again, it's really like all this crazy shit going on. And then Nona's just like going through the world. Gotta pee. I gotta pee. <laughs> and we get into chapter 13. This kind of continues the visit aspect of this day in which they visit the captain, who is Judith. Judith Deuteris of the second house. I did think it was interesting as the meeting's breaking up, Pash says that she has to go like she's like I gotta get I gotta leave now because the package is late for work and what she means by the package is the science teacher aka the angel aka the messenger and aka something very big that we aren't quite sure about yet can't wait to read this again after reading the next book (laughs) I know for real we'll be like wow we were such idiots (laughs) so <laughs> the squad heads down to visit Judith. Judith is not doing too hot. No. She kind of looks like shit. And Camilla is asking a bunch of questions about like how they're treating her mm-hmm. and all of that. And it's basically like our medicine <laughs> right, right now, which the houses think is very primitive because obviously right. they have like necromancy, you can do a lot more with it. And essentially, Judith is not fully herself. That becomes very clear as she starts to like kind of ramble in her sleep. Yeah, she kind of swings back and forth from being herself and to being what is basically Varun. So Varun, the sort of ghost planet of the, of what was it, Uranus maybe or? Neptune. Neptune has sort of inhabited her and is speaking through her. This is like a weird thing that these resurrection beasts are able to do. So she kind of goes through these stages of basically speaking as this dead planet and then like going back to herself and repeating like, I am Judith Deuteris of the the second house. But there are a couple of weird quotes that she gives us when she is speaking as Varun that I felt like we should read. Yeah, Amy, why don't you go ahead and read the first one? So the first thing she says, they're all so Cam and Nona are and Corona Beth are all around her, and Captain Deuteris says, "Dust of my dust, such similar star salt. What they did to you, and what they wrung from you, and what shape they made you fill. We see you still. We seek you still. We murdered. We who murder. You inadvertent tool. You misused green thing. Come back to us. Take vengeance for us. We saw you. I see you." Which is, I mean, it's not like there are some questions, but basically it's Varun, this dead planet, talking to another dead planet, Earth, who is Nona, and basically being like, we are the same, like, we hate what they did to you, come and take vengeance for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, we're hearing this through Nona, 
right, known as perspective. I'm pretty sure Cam goes to try and help Judith, at which point Corona basically calls her Palamides. And it turns out that Palamides has been here this whole time through the entirety of the last chapter. It has actually, in fact, not been Cam. It has been Pal. And we, you know, after figuring that out here, there are a couple context clues. One is that Camilla puts on the glasses at mm-hmm. the beginning of the last chapter. Then we know she does that when there's potential for them to switch because Pal right. likes the glasses on, on their face. The other thing that happened is that during the shuttle conversation, Corona refers to Camilla as Millie, which obviously Camilla hates. Of course. But Palamides did not react to that nickname. And Corona, after having spent like quite a bit of time with Camilla, does know her and is like, Camilla didn't react. So obviously something was up. But the real giveaway for Corona and the heartbreaking giveaway for Corona is when Corona tells Palamides how much Cam was grieving when he was gone. And we don't we won't we don't have to read this whole passage, but she basically says like Corona and Judith grieved very similarly, but Cam just like was not present. Just right. like totally shut down and not there. And then when they met up with Harrowhark, Camilla got better. Right. And so Corona was like something happened then. Right. And she didn't know what exactly it was, but it couldn't have been that Pow was still trapped in those hand bones. Something had to have changed. And so Corona, who's like, you know, not an idiot, kind of puts it all together. Yeah. And also, if you read the last chapter, chapter 12, they're like through that whole interrogation, Camilla sitting extremely still, which is right. <laughs> it's obviously it's it's that's always a giveaway. So now that everyone knows who everyone is. <laughs> The captain wakes up and there is a moment here where I think Judith is herself. She's obviously confused, but she is not Varun for these next couple of paragraphs. She kind of like, they they fix her up between Pal and herself. They fix up her body a little bit with necromancy, which I think is actually when Coronabeth discovers for sure that it's Pal. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if she had any questions before. Right. And Judith is still very anti-BOE and is sort of repeating these phrases like you would, or at least like in movies, like as you would if you were like about to be tortured and you don't want to like lose sight of yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brutal. And she speaks to everyone and, and, and tries to convince Camilla and Coronabeth, or who she thinks is Camilla, to denounce Blood of Eden and to, you know, go back to the cohort in the Nine Houses and that... She would stand up for them and tell the nine houses that they were just coerced. It's very, it's very hard. She also refers to, she talks to Nona and refers to her as the Reverend Daughter and Ninth and... Yeah. And there's something interesting that she says. So she, you know, she says to Nona, where is my cavalier, Reverend Daughter? Where is yours? Because I saw her in the waves. She was there in the gray water. I saw them all. They hurt me. Where is my hunger? I eat and eat and eat without surcease. And then she says, my green thing, my green and breathing thing. And so in this moment, she's herself. And then she kind of loses herself and is Varun again. Right. What's interesting here to me is that in Harrow's river bubble, 
There is a moment, I'm pretty sure, where Judith is spotted by Marta. Right. But like, Ju- but Judith isn't quite right. And I sort of wonder if if that was actually Judith in right. this like in-between state. Mm. Because Judith is basically claiming like, I've seen, I saw my cavalier, right. or like I saw yours in the waves, right? And the waves are like the river with the river bubble, blah, 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 blah. So it's possible that she did in fact see them. Yeah. I don't know. I still don't really like anything to do with a river. I'm just like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't get it. I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. It's like the purgatory-esque right. situation here, which would make sense because Judith is kind of like in purgatory right now. Right. And so we kind of start to peter out on this chapter with more conversation between Palamides and or between Cam and Corona, because there's a point where Palamides and Cam switch back again because Nona reminds him of the timer. And there is, Camilla's basically like, are you going to tell <laughs> Blood of Eden that Palamides is here? Right. Right, because up to this point, no one at Blood of Eden knows that Palamides is in fact alive. And Corona's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell. And Cam's like, I, I just don't trust you. But Camilla has this seems genuine moment where she's like, I'm really glad that you all are together, even though it's sketchy. Mm-hmm. And after she says this, Cam basically asks Corona to come back with them to leave Blood of Eden right. before, before the negotiator comes. And unsurprisingly, she refuses. And Corona kind of asks Cam the same thing. They They just aren't quite able to come together on this. Yeah. And Camilla kind of says, why are you sticking around? And and Corona's sort of lying and saying, like, I like my prison cells more obvious and food, yada, yada. But it's really about Judith, why she's, like, sticking around. Absolutely. If you've read As Yet Unsent, you can see here with the way that Corona's acting, like, you can tell that Corona has feelings for Judith. Totally. And is also deeply frustrated with her. Right, you know? right. It's it's a combo, but Yeah. I mean, you can have deep love and deep frustration at the same time. Oh yeah. The same person. And I think her sister, like I think that she thinks there's a higher chance that she'll which totally. ends up being true. Totally. Yep. So and then it's interesting because Corona starts shitting on Pira. Right. And says i've i've heard too much of the saint of duty to trust pure debate and so that is an interesting thing here too where corona's like don't trust pure too much and cam is like she's not hiding anything and corona says well you don't really believe that do you and we've talked about this before like we aren't quite sure how much pure knows and but she definitely knows more than is stated here Definitely. And I trust Pira DeVay with all my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think there's anything sketchy about Pira right now, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. This chapter finally closes out with this kind of like mic drop moment where Nona is trying to change the subject because she doesn't like that they're talking shit about Pira and asks what Judith meant when she was screaming those things that we, we listed. And Cam... And Coronabeth say that Judith didn't say anything. And this is just another 
moment where we see that Nona can hear Varun and other people can't. So Cam and Coronabeth just heard screaming. Nona got this message. Dun, dun, dun. And it made me think of in Harrow when the lictors are describing what it's like to interact with resurrection beasts and how they just like kind of start screaming and going crazy. Part of me kind of wonders if they would be overtaken by the planet like Judith is. And I kind of wonder if that screaming actually is the rage of the planet coming through the lictors. In a, in a similar way as to what Judith is experiencing. Yeah. That, Just a thought. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> Those are some meaty chapters. We did have some audience questions. We got a lot of audience participation around the debate Amy and I were having in our last mm-hmm. Nona episode around what the birth was that Pira helped with. Many, many, many of you (laughs) wrote to us about this. And when I read through a lot of the messages, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's obvious, you guys. You're you're right. Sorry, y'all. Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) I believe Nikki wrote in with this information. Also, we had B and Haley and a couple of email addresses that didn't give names. But guys... The baby that Pira helped deliver on the ninth house was Anastasia's baby. Right. This yeah, makes a lot of, of sense. Of course. Yes, this makes a lot of sense. I also thought there were a couple of interesting notes here from readers from Haley, uh, who pointed out that it was probably Anastasia's baby, that maybe Anastasia had this baby. It was Samuel's baby too. Like they were a romantic, they were a couple. I thought Samuel was dead. Yeah, but I think the idea here would be that Samuel dies while Anastasia's pregnant and then she goes to the ninth house. Oh, interesting. I think, I mean, Haley, write in if if we're wrong, but that's what I thought. Also, both Haley and, and B and a couple other people were talking about how Pira mentions painting the nursery on the ninth. So- B was also saying that also um, I thought B had something interesting to say about childbirth being difficult on Thanergy planets. Yeah, I agree with this. This is, yeah. It's like the necromancies, the necromancers that have a hard time with, but they're still non-necromancers who are fine. That's how I read this at least. Yeah, so the comment from B is that gestation and childbirth is particularly difficult for the birthing parent right because it's already by the way very hard on the body if you live on a non-thanergy planet but throw in the thanergy planet stuff and if you're a necromancer how physically weak you are would make having an actual like body birth really really challenging which i totally agree with wait Um, i i totally misread this also well it is like there are there is reason in the books to think that um it specifically says that that you can't reproduce on thanergy pro- planets yeah in hera right yeah yeah i know that's what i'm saying it's not just the necro i mean obviously with the necromancers it would be even harder but on a thanergy planet which is dead i think it would be v- it's very hard to produce any life <laughs> period so it's they use hera was born the standard way yeah, but I don't think that's a normal thing. Right. I think it can happen. It's just very rare huh. because it's so hard. Anyway, 
Because the sixth house has a population problem too. Like over the years, that's why they're so particular around pairing the eggs with the sperm and how on the sixth house, like Palamides parents, Mm -hmm. they weren't like romantic partners. It was like their sperm and eggs were the most viable for a combination was like my understanding. Like Zeta and that guy are not together. Right, right. So anyway, yeah. But it's not to say that body births don't happen at all. Right. So thank you guys for helping us out with the birthing. It seemed very obvious when we read all these emails, but also (laughs) this is why we have you. This is why we need you. Thank you. Anyway, that's what we've got time for today. We will hopefully get another episode out soon after this. Just a warning because we never really know what's going to happen. At some point, Mel's going to have a brand new baby. And yeah, let's then we be will... clear. I'm not, I'm not the pregnant one, though. Just yes. FYI. <laughs> if you were wondering. Just at, at some point, Mel's partner will have the baby and yes. Mel will not be podcasting yes. regularly for a little while. Yes. So we'll, we'll happens, let you all know. We'll let you know. But hopefully we can get another episode or maybe even two recorded before then. But also we are really just hoping that Mel and their partner have a happy, healthy baby that doesn't keep them up all night forever, <laughs> maybe just for a couple of months. But we'll One see what happens. One can only hope. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All that being said, thank you for joining us. As always, if you have questions or comments or want to point something out, you can send us that question on our website, locktoonpod.com. We're still working on emails, but there are a lot. So, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. We've been getting a lot of really sweet reviews lately. And I just want you guys to know that, like, we read those and they make our day every time we send them to each other. Thank you for writing reviews and rating us wherever you're listening to this podcast, it really makes us feel so validated and happy that we're doing this, even though it's just a little passion project. So thank you. And then thanks as always to Olivia Kay for our sweet theme music. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktoon Podcast.